Well, good morning, everybody. Where's Rick? Rick, when I say good morning, what do you say? <laughs> Thanks. It doesn't feel the same if I don't hear Rick yelling, good morning, Nick. It's all right. It's okay. Hey, um, so this morning, um, for those of you guys who don't know, my name is Nick Garrett. I'm the worship pastor here at Normandale. It's, it's going to take me a little while to get adjusted to having a table and a music stand, holding a mic and a Bible and an iPad. It's a little too much for me. I like to have my hands free and talk with my hands, so bear with me a little bit. Um, I, sometimes things happen, and I don't really know if it's, it's from God or if it's just my own ideas. So if it's my own ideas, I apologize. But this is our last Sunday here at Tannehill, right? Where's Chris? Where's Chris? He come, he's here every morning opening. He's out, he's out there, and he's not going to be able to hear us doing this, but he's here every morning on Sunday opening the gates, getting the building opened up for us. He does so much to help us get ready for you guys and us coming in here to worship. It's been a huge blessing, and he's, he's not even going to hear us talking about it, but uh, one of the things I would, I would like if we could do, could we just pray for a minute over, I mean, I would like to, you know, thank him and thank the school and really we don't have a way of thanking the school together except maybe clapping and letting him know that we thank the school but I would like to to offer up a prayer for the for the kids and faculty and teachers and just the administration and every person who's going to be coming in this building in the next week and going through school we've been able to worship Jesus and the Holy Spirit has met with us here for now six months and we have an awesome opportunity to to pray over the kids and the, and the faculty and everybody here. So if you don't mind, just, just take a moment. Where, if you would bow your heads and just offer up your own individual prayers for anybody that you can think of here, even individual people, specific people you know that may go here or work here, and then I'll close this with prayer. Jesus, we, we thank you this morning. <clears throat> you are such a good God that when... When our our building floods, you provided, as you always do. And thank you for providing this school. Thank you for the people who you put in place that allowed us to, to freely come and worship here on Sunday mornings and the relationship that we have with them. And we thank you for their heart. Thank you, Lord, for the, the hundreds of kids who are going to be pouring in here in the coming weeks and the faculty, every adult who, who will be here working with them. God, I pray that in just from the prayers that have been offered up, I know that you hear our prayers, but I pray specifically that there would be salvation that takes place among students, faculty members, that there would be a different feel to this school year that when students and, and adults walk on campus, there would just be a different feel that something's different about this building and, and the atmosphere here. And God, I pray that it would, it would become to known that your spirit is at work and moving strongly in, in this building and in the hearts of the people who are here. I would just ask for amazing, miraculous transformation of, of your children here in this in this building as they come to school and work, and I pray you would get all the glory from it, from it all. Thank you for providing this for the last six months. 
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Man, I got, I got a little scared. I was, I, was, I was praying, and I felt the edge of the carpet. I'm like, whoa. It's just a little, little bit different atmosphere. So we've been finishing up our, um, or we're going through our elders uh, preaching series through the book of Titus. Um, two weeks ago, Jared preached on the role of women in the church. Uh, last week, Adam did a great job of, of preaching on slaves and, and their relation to their masters and contextualizing it greatly and saying what was it, one, about one in five people in, in, that was in the hearing of this were, in that congregation were probably slaves. And so um, it was very pertinent to how um, they were to relate to each other. Today, um, it's going to be more focused on the way we relate to the outside world uh, specifically to authorities. Um, it worked, so if you'll turn your attention, turn to uh, Titus, the book of Titus, chapter 3. Um, we're going to be going from uh, verses 1 and 3. And the title this mor- of this sermon this morning, I don't, know why, I don't know why I like funny titles, and hopefully it'll make sense after we get through it, but it's, How Can I Be Like Jesus If My Name Is Peter? And some of you guys looked at me like, What? I, um, it'll make sense. But how can I be like Jesus if my name is Peter? We've talked about submission over a lot this summer. Husbands, submit to your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, submit to the Lord. Slaves, submit to your masters. Um, so in Titus, we get to chapter 3, and it turns more towards the authorities and how we relate to the outside world. Well, Paul leaves uh, Titus in, in charge of the church in Crete, and and, and I know we've summarized this a few times, but if you're just joining us, when he left, anytime there's a leadership change or anytime a leadership leaves, and even when leadership is consistent, there's always a chance. It happens in, in churches around America and around the world. There's always a chance that false doctrines take place or that, that people rise up to power that don't belong there, that don't want to give the glory to God. And so Paul is writing this letter to make sure that they're setting the right—I mean, he's talking about the elder qualifications. He's talking about teaching sound doctrine. He's addressing all these issues. And specifically, in chapter 3, he, he writes, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. So, I don't know, so he, like here in verse 1, we're going to camp out a little bit because it's talking about authorities. And I think you and I, this is frustrating, you and I can probably agree that the last, some of you people who are older than me may have, may have been around for more contentious times, but the last 18 to 24 months have been some of the most contentious, argumentative, divisive times in my lifetime, especially when it relates to the government and politics, health care with um, the CDC versus the World Health Organization, local health officials. We, we hear things from officials and experts, and some of us, we are immediate to just go, no, they're, they're wrong. We have, I don't know if you guys know this, we have what's, what's called um, a rebellious heart inside of us. Um, and it's like you and I, we're rebellious. If you've ever been a teenager, 
Some of you guys have teenagers right now. Raise your hand if your teenager has no rebellion inside of them. There better not be one. No. You are a teenager. So she immediately is disqualified. But you and I have a rebellious heart. It stems from original sin. Adam and Eve rebelled against God's rule. God even expressed this in the Old Testament, talking about how his people have rebellious hearts. They're stiff-necked, and they're rebellious. They're rebelling against the, the supreme authority and, and the, God, the king of kings, the lord of lords. They're rebelling against him. Imagine how we are when it comes to authorities who are not holy and blameless, who, are, who, are flaw, who have flaws and are imperfect. We have rebellious hearts. And I, it's not always a bad thing. I think if you, is Jared in here? If you look into our history, the history of America, America was born out of rebellion against unfair taxa- taxation and, and British tyranny. That was supposed to be just for Jared. He's not here. So it's not all bad, but we, we long, like we love, we love this, the idea of rebellion, especially when it comes to, hey, Jared. <laughs> it wasn't behind your back. You were, I thought you were going to be right there. So we love this idea of rebellion, especially when it comes to we feel like we're wronged and we're going to rise up. Or we feel like someone's pressing us down and, and we're not going to stand for it anymore. Loving the story of that. I, um, I don't know how many of you guys have, have, are into the Avengers, Marvel's Avengers series. Um, not very many hands go up. That's, that's fine. It could just be me. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Brandon. So, yeah, my full-time job is a teacher, so I, it's, it, that immediate feedback, it's like hands go up, and okay, we're, we're tracking. Um, so, Marvel's The Avengers, I mean, I don't know how committed you guys are to any of those movies. There's like 300 of them. I've watched, I, I'm trying to watch it from the beginning of the, the, the timeline, and I keep getting stuck somewhere in the middle. But the original Avengers movie, there's a scene that, I, I love it, and I forget that it's there, but... The antagonist comes in, and he's from another world. He's, he's a little G-god, comes in, and he surrounds these people, and they're fleeing and trying to run away, and he, he shows up in front of them every time with a scepter, and he's telling them to kneel. And they're fleeing, and they're panicked, and so they, at some point they, they get on a knee, and they're bowing down to him. And then he starts on this monologue where he tells them that freedom is not a burden that we were created to bear that we were meant to all be slaves and subjugated and we, on a knee, bowed down to a ruler is the way we all should be. This is the way of humanity. And, one, and so he says, so you, you will always kneel. And then there's one gentleman who, he was probably in his 70s. Um, I can't remember if he was a military, you know, if he had any kind of uniform or anything, but he stands up, rises up off of his knees, and he, he basically confronts... Th- this God with all these powers, and he, he tells them, I've seen people like you, and I will never kneel before you. And then, the, and then this, the, you know, Captain America comes in, and that's, that's neither here nor there. But the point was, it gave me goosebumps because we love this idea of someone's, this authority comes in, he's unfair, and we're going to rebel, and we're going to stand up against him and fight. I get goosebumps just even thinking about that scene, and it's a little scene that, that I forget every time I watch the movie, but every time it comes in, I'm like, oh, here we go. This is, where, this is where it gets good. 
But it's the same kind of, it's that same kind of defiance that you see in the Old Testament with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to throw you in the furnace unless you worship me. And they tell him, okay, we're not going to worship you. We're going to worship our God, the, 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 God, the only God there is. You can throw us in the furnace. We still won't worship you. So he hurls them into the furnace. They survive. But the point is, it was out of defiance. Or like, we're, not, we're, not going to, we're not going to go against the allegiance we have with the one true God. That, that level of defiance is, I, I just, I love reading stories like that. But we are, by nature, rebellious in, in negative ways. Um, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a sponsor for Whataburger, but I didn't have water today. Sorry. Um, but we, um, some of us, at every, when, when the first mask mandate came out for COVID, some of us immediately want to rebel. I'm not wearing a mask. You can't make me. Some of us, I, I was one of those, by the way. I was, I'm not wearing a mask. That's, that's ridiculous. At, at the beginning. Imagine how you would feel, some of you, including me, by the way, if they were to repeal the Second Amendment. <laughs> I say that, and I know people are like, oh, no, you didn't. There's a, there's a phrase we have for that, right? Isn't it, come and take it. But I think, I think we run into, this is, where, this is where the title of the sermon comes in. We are a lot like Peter. Do you guys remember Peter, who was a disciple of Jesus? He was a fisherman. And I don't know what you guys know about fishermen in those days, but they weren't known for being um, politically adept. Um, or schmoozers, as my wife says sometimes. I don't even know how to spell it. It shows up on the deal that I misspelled it, but that's okay. But he's gruff and he's dirty and he works with his hands and he casts out nets for fish and he brings the fish in. And if he doesn't bring enough fish in, he has to stay out there and continue. Otherwise, he doesn't have, he doesn't have money. So he's, he works with his hands and he's a, he's a worldly thinker and he's passionate. And he's walking with Jesus and if you guys will turn to Matthew chapter 26, I want to show you a couple examples where Peter's a lot like us. In chapter 26, beginning in verse 30. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Now, just a quick note. He was, he was referring to um, a, a scripture, a Old Testament scripture, Zechariah. He wasn't just saying this on his own, that, you, that the, the shepherd will be str- struck down and everybody will flee. He was referring to holy, te- holy scripture to them at that time, too. So he was inspired, and he was speaking it. And here's Peter. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus says to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even, I must, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. This is Jesus telling Peter 
based upon Old Testament scripture, this is what's going to happen. This is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of the world is telling Peter, this is what's going to happen. And Peter's going, not me. I'll stand for you. I will, I will, I will give my life for you. And even after that, Jesus says, you're actually going to be the biggest coward at the moment than any of them. Because they're going to they're gonna say, I saw you with Jesus. And you're not only going to deny it, you're going to deny it three times. No, I'm not. I will, I will, I will die with you. I will give my life for you. There's, this, is, this is Jesus telling him this. And that rebellious heart is like, no, I'm not. Peter's passionate, but he's living in the moment and doesn't see the kingdom perspective. Just, just another reference to show you. If you go to Matthew 16, Peter's just a, a great example of all this. Matthew 16, just to, 10 chapters before, looking at verse 13. Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But then he said to them, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's a lot of encouragement from the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Savior of the world. I would love it if Jesus were to say that to me right now. It's a huge amount of encouragement. But then go to the next paragraph. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And then, and then what does Peter say? Peter, Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke the Son of God. No, 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 no. This don't far, this, this far be it from you. you you're not going to do this. And look at, he just began talking, giving encouragement to Peter about how, the, the, how much wisdom and the gates of hell are going to be, like all this encouragement to Peter. And the very next paragraph, Peter begins to rebuke Jesus, and Jesus' response to Peter is, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter is so much in the moment and passionate. And he wants, he's, he's like us in that when something happens that goes against what we think is, is good or we think is evil, we want to rise up against it. And his first thought is, I'm going to defend Jesus. No way, Jesus. You're not giving your life. You're not going to die at the hands of these people. He just can't fathom it because his whole mindset is right here on this earth. He has no idea about the kingdom perspective of what's going on. And I think we are a lot like Peter. But before I go any further, I do want to acknowledge that, that Peter is a, a rock of the church. After the resurrection, he, his, his wisdom and discernment and leadership was amazing. But his walk with Jesus and his time with Jesus on earth is a lot like ours and that we can't see past what's right in front of us. I wonder today, like, how would, 
I mean, there's no answer for it, really. But I wonder today, like, what would Peter think about a mask mandate from the CDC? Like, before Jesus died, if, if, if there was coronavirus and there was a mask mandate, I have a feeling he would be the one to be like, I'm never wearing a mask. You can't make me. I'll slice off your ear if you try. Or at worst, and I was going to bring a mask up here. I can imagine him wearing it where it's just down here under the chin, like, I'll wear a mask, fine. I can imagine him having that defiance that, that I'm not doing it. Like, how would he, re- how would he respond if, if someone posted about something bad about Jesus on Facebook? I mean, can you imagine the, the, the tearing of, uh, I mean, he would be tearing somebody up defending his Savior. We're a lot like Peter, but what Mike read was, was awesome. That last verse in Colossians that he read, it's like, set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. Because if we get caught thinking about, if we make mask mandates our problem, if we make gun rights our pro- if we make our individual liberties, American liberties, out the hill that we're going to die on, it's possible that we miss the kingdom perspective. And what's really going on? Because you do, we realize that the fr- amount of freedoms that we have in this country, they're com- com- comparable to no other. Like if you go to all a lot of many other countries in this world where, where the majority of people live, they don't have the amount of freedom that we have. And so I don't think they could un- they could comprehend this idea of this individual rights and being able to have what we have by the, the Constitution. But I wonder if we make that a little bit of an idol in the sense that we don't see the kingdom perspective. What is it? We don't see the forest because of the trees in front of our face. So we have the ability to live like people. There are some things in this world that we need to rail up against. There's some, some really tough, tough issues that are going on politically. I mean, our country has accepted pornography as a viable entertainment. We've normalized homosexuality as a, as a country. And you, you, every one of you guys can come up with things in your mind that just get you frustrated when you, when you hear of some directions that our country is turning. And there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes I think we can get so hung up on it that we miss what God's doing underneath that. Or, what God, or we miss showing the love of Jesus to people who are struggling in some of these areas because we're Peter. We're living in the world, and the world sometimes shrinks down into these one or two issues when in reality, God's doing amazing things even through the difficult times. Think about Joseph. Joseph gets sold into slavery by by his brothers. He He goes to work for Potiphar. He's doing a great great job, second only in charge to to Potiphar. And then Potiphar's wife comes on to him and he flees. Potiphar's wife goes and tells her, her husband that he, he came on to her. So he throws Joseph in prison. Joseph's not crying and complaining about it. He's not, he's not protesting about being unfairly like, um, thrown in, into prison. What he does, he, God starts giving him dreams to interpret. And those dreams get interpreted and, and they, help, they help the country. They help, they help the leaders, the king. So he rises up into power. And in the end, 
There's a famine that happens across Egypt, and because of Joseph being faithful to, the, to God and his kingdom, he rises to a, a place where he's able to help his brothers and, to, and his countrymen stay fed because he's the one who's in charge of all the, the, the provisions and the food. And it's because he was humble. It was because he was giving his life for something greater. He wasn't focused on, why, why am I in prison? What, what, what did I do? He wasn't focused on, I got sold into slavery by my brothers. He was, he, he began, I'm sure thoughts like that came into his head, but even in the end, he tells his brothers when, they, when they're wondering why it is he didn't like lash out at them or have, him, have them killed, he said, because what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So is it possible that there could be amazing kingdom things happening regardless of the, the evil things that are happening in our face or the, the negative things, the injustices that we see? Could there be some really kingdom stuff that we're missing because we're like Peter and we're thinking we're living in the world and in the moment? Because while Peter was doing what Peter did, Jesus, he's the one that's saying, you should love your neighbor as yourself. And the person he used, the example he used as in that, in that example as loving your neighbor is there's a Jewish person laying on the side of the road. He'd been beaten by robbers. He had priests who came by and paid him no attention. But it's a Samaritan who the Jews were disgusted by the Samaritans. They were kind of half-breeds. They were half-Jewish. They weren't, they weren't considered God's people by the Jewish people. But it's this Samaritan who comes by and helps the Jewish person who's, on, who's beaten and broken. That was the neighbor. So in reality, we're called to love everyone as we love ourselves. He called the, the peacemakers the ones who were blessed. Jesus considered the things that were of the world to belong to the world. Should we pay taxes? Well, whose inscription's on the coin? It's Caesar's. Well, then give to Caesar what's Caesar's. He gave, he gave very little importance to material things. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. God will, I will provide these things. You be concerned about the kingdom, not the materials and the, and the earthly things. I think sometimes our fight over issues with the world can sometimes look like hate from people who are supposed to be showing the love of Jesus to everybody. And I, you don't have to give me feedback on this one, but I, I just wonder if you guys recognize that in, in your own lives and worlds, social media, our own feelings when they rise up on news accounts and all that stuff. Do we, do we get really upset by those things? Or do we wonder how is it we can, we can use this information to share the gospel or help the ones who are hurting? Or how can we pray for the ones who are thinking some of these ideas are good ideas? The, um, this verse keeps coming back to me, and I can't tell you where it is because I wasn't planning on using it, but when Jesus says that you are the salt of the earth, that if we lose our saltiness, we're good for nothing. If we get hung up on, on laws that we don't like, or if we get hung up on mandates or inconveniences of wearing a mask, or if we get hung up on just issues 
is it possible that we lose, we lose our saltiness, we lose the thing that makes us special because we're focused on the things we don't like? Because it says in, in Scripture that if we lose our saltiness, we're, no good for no, any, we're not good for anything except to be trampled on foot. And in the very next passage, you are, you are the city on a hill. We're the ones who are supposed to be sharing, that are supposed to be showing like a beacon of hope and light to the world. But I think the world can look at the church as a whole, and a lot of them are turning away because they're seeing us taking stands on political issues and taking stands on American issues. But what about kingdom issues? People are going to hell. And I don't, I don't want it to be because of me or you. I don't want Jesus to have a bad name and a bad rap because I'm hung up on what makes me comfortable or what rights I've been given by the Constitution. I want to get hung, I want to get hung up on the, king, on the, the things that, that, that break the heart of Jesus. And I hope you guys, I'm not, no, I'm not lecturing to you. I'm really feeling convicted on, on myself. I, these, some of these things aren't even my notes. And I'm like, God, I don't know where you're, you're taking me right now. But So I hope you guys understand. I mean, think about all the things that we can hitch our wagons to. Anything COVID can, can, can stir up frustrations and def- defiance. Gun rights. Abortion. We get hung up on which sports team's better. I was at an 11-year-old softball game this spring. My daughter Caroline was playing in a for Alito. They had they had they had two two Alito teams. They played all these other schools, but then at the end they had a playoff between the two teams. It was a championship game between two teams, the only two teams in the league. So for those of you guys who are Talladega Nights fans, if you weren't first in that game, you literally were last. Um, but a fight literally broke out between parents at that game. A mom was encouraging her, her daughter who was pitching, and a sibling from the other team thought they heard something. And so instead of, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't even know what goes on in the mind, but inst- instead of not doing what they did, they, they egged it on and basically it, it escalated into a, a point where people were going into the parking lot, adult men were going to the parking lot to, to fight and break up a fight, and 11-year-old softball. It wasn't even the Olympics. I just want to make sure, and I want to challenge you guys to, to look inside your, your hearts as, as I'm doing, as I'm speaking to you guys, that these small things on, on this earth, the things that, that the world thinks are big, are we making them bigger than they should be? There's a, there's a pastor in China who was leading an underground church. China is, is like a, is an atheistic government, and so the only churches they sanction are the ones who basically give all praise to the government. So he's, he's running this church um, underground in secrecy because they're not going to conform to, like, they're going to they're gonna praise and worship Jesus. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
they're not going to go and give all praise to the government. They know, they know who the king is. And in 2018, the government came in and arrested many of the congregants and the, and the pastor and sentenced him to nine years in prison for, for what they call inciting subversion of state power. And besides continuing to meet and worship Jesus, that is the only, that is the only amount of rebellion it took for him to get nine years in prison. But before he got arrested, knowing that this was an inevitability and this could have happened, he, wrote, he writes a letter, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I, it's, it's important to think about his perspective as this could, this could have been imminent, and it was. According to the teachings of the Bible, and this was, I'm sure this was in Chinese and, and has been translated, according to the teachings of the Bible and the mission of the gospel, I respect the founding powers of God in China. Because the king of waste and the king of kings are all in God, to this end I obey God's arrangement of Chinese history and its institutions. Christ is so urgent and willing to forgive all who turn from sin. This is the purpose of all the work of the church in China. It's to witness Christ to the world, to witness the kingdom of heaven to China, and to witness the eternal life of heaven to the short life of the earth. This is also my pastoral call. To this end, I accept and respect the CCP's regime as a temporary ruler allowed by God. As the Lord's servant, John Calvin said, the ruler of evil is God's punishment for the wicked people, and the purpose is to urge the people of God to repent. So I am willing to obey their law enforcement behavior physically, as if obeying the Lord's discipline and training. This does not mean that my pers personal and church disobedience is a political act in any sense of activism or civil disobedience. I have no intention, zero intention, of changing any of China's systems and laws. As a pastor, the only thing I care about is the disobedience of faith, the shock of sinful humanity, and the testimony of the cross of Christ. And he's serving nine years in prison for teaching Jesus. So he could be in active defiance. He could be fighting. He could be making things worse on himself and the people around him. But he has a kingdom perspective. Knowing full well that, that, could have, that being arrested and being killed could be something that quite literally, literally happens. He's not, he's not subverting authority. He's not, he's, he's not railing against the, the country. The only thing he's doing is he's not going to forsake the gospel. So he sees a king. He, he's like Jesus in the sense that he sees the kingdom perspective and is not getting bogged down by the things in front of him. If you'll go back to Titus real quick. I read verse 1 and 2, but did not read 3. So verse 1 said, remind, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. And then verse 3 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. If you were to look at the world right now, 
I think you would agree, there's a lot of envy, a lot of hate, disobedience, jealousy, passions, and personal pleasures. And that's where we were. So I want to encourage you this morning. Um, as the band closes, as the band, as the band comes up, not closes up, as we close, I want to encourage you, if you are one of, if you, if you could consider yourself a believer, maybe have you seen a way where our freedoms, our, our comforts, our pleasures, has it gotten in the way of being the salt and the light to the world? If that's you, I want to challenge you to, to repent. The world doesn't need divisive people who claim they love Jesus. The world needs people who love Jesus and are going to take him out to the world that hates him right now. And Jesus willingly, to those people that were spitting on him and striking nails into his hands, he willingly walked that walk to the cross. Didn't say a harsh word to anybody, knowing full well the lives that they were leading. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if, if that's you, if you're a believer, but you know you've been riled up by, by a lot of things, I want to challenge you this morning to, to ask yourself if, if maybe there's a conviction that God's revealing to you that the things that we're getting riled up for are not kingdom things, but maybe they're personal things. Maybe they're American things. Maybe, maybe they're just comforts. And I want to challenge you to repent. If you're, if you're not a believer this morning and you recognize that you're living in a, in a life where you're struggling with hate, struggling with, with fear because of what's in front of us and the, the, the news that comes out on a daily basis or have no idea where to turn, maybe this is the day you recognize that there's something else going on in this world besides what's in front of you, besides what the news tells us. Besides the fear that gets thrown out, besides all of this stuff, there's something bigger. And his name is Jesus. And even if you are a believer, his name is Jesus, and he's above any of this stuff. You could be a Christian living in fear, but it's time to get rid of it. Because our God is greater than any of those things. And his kingdom is going on around us and I, it's not fear, but I don't want to find out that we missed it because we couldn't see the forest because of the trees in front of us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. And God, that's, scripture like that is hard to read when it when it. I feel like sometimes it comes, into, it comes into conflict with my own sense of what it means to be free, an American, an individual. And so I thank you, God, that your kingdom is greater than America. That your kingdom is greater than any country, greater than any, any um, institution. And I thank you for Jesus. Because, God, while 
I, and I would suspect many others in here would say we get hung up on, on the, the minutia of the world. Sometimes we're like, Peter, I thank you that you still went to the cross for us, just like you went to the cross for, for the ones that sometimes we disagree with. Thank you for loving us. And right now, Father, I pray you would, you would start to create a bigger, a kingdom mindset for your people here at Normandale. That we would, we would be willing to do anything to advance the kingdom of God. That we would be like that pastor in China. We don't, we don't know what's coming tomorrow. We don't know what's coming the rest of the day. But God, we're living for you. And we're living for your kingdom above all things. We praise you and pray that you would have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen.